Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary for Saturday the 24th of December 2022. And coming up in this 2022 review episode, I'll be taking a look at what got done and what didn't in 2022. I'll bring you up to date with my writing news since dropping that last bumper episode in November. And I'll explain why I'm in the top 6% and the top 25%, but don't let your imaginations run too much of a riot. To start today's episode, because it's a festive season, I thought we'd start with a festive competition and the question that I'm going to pose for you right at the beginning of this podcast and I'll answer it in the final minute is how many games of Scrabble have I played with my mum since we went into lockdown in March 2020? If you've a long time listener to this podcast you'll know that uh, I started playing Scrabble with my mum as soon as we went into lockdown and that's a habit that's continued and I counted it up the other day just to see how many we'd played, how many I'd won and how many I'd lost. And I'll give you the stats right at the end of this podcast. But bearing in mind, we started in March 2020. We've been playing reasonably regularly ever since. How many games do you think we've played in that time? Okay. First of all, then, to my writing and editing update. This is going to fill you in with the time between that last bumper over two hour update and right up to today, which is just before Christmas. So I have finished Taken on Trust, which is the first book in my latest trilogy. I don't know whether I've explained this, but the trilogy picks up from the Morecambe Bay trilogy. So it uses a character that appears, it's a DCI uh, from a police officer from the Don't Tell Meg series. So she appears as, as one of the officers in that trilogy but she's just a, a minor character there but I liked that character so I moved her into the Morecambe Bay trilogy she's a much bigger part of the Morecambe Bay trilogy but she's still a secondary character in that book and then at the end of the Morecambe Bay trilogy I just uh, mentioned in the final uh, in the epilogue that she's got a new job and she's moving to Hull and this series uh, is when she moves to Hull she's literally just moved to Hull and it's her first case in Hull so I've completely changed location to just give myself the opportunity to sort of refresh the lo uh, refresh the locations that I'm choosing from so uh, it's it was 75,000 words it was about 75,100 and something it was just over 75,000 words um, I my wife's read it uh, I've read it I've done my wife's edits I've gone through it again and it's now gone to Claire Cronshaw for her edit. Um, now, there's no rush with this book. Uh, Claire will start work on it in January when she resumes her work after Christmas. And uh, it's not going to get published by me until the, the 1st of October. Um, I will send it to uh, beta readers as well when I've gone through Claire's edits. So it's frankly just going to sit there for quite a long time before it gets uh, published. So I've already booked in with Claire the next edit. And that edit is booked in for the last two weeks of April 2023, which means I've got uh, basically January, February and March to write uh, the next book, book two in that series. And then book three will get written in quarter two of 2023. Now I'll go into my aims for 2023 in next week's diary. So we'll focus on what's been done. But I have uh, I've, I've booked in the edit and paid the deposit for it already. And Claire will edit that in the last two weeks of April. So I've got until the last two weeks of April to make sure I've got a second book ship shape and ready to send off for editing. So the planning of book two is over 50% done. 
So um, I, I've just been kind of doing that in the evenings. I got a little bit waylaid, um, frankly, by a recording podcast. So I've been batch recording podcasts to take us over Christmas and the new year. So I'll get back to the planning of book two this afternoon once I've got this recorded and ready to go. And I'll um, do it um, probably Christmas Eve and then probably on the 26th or 27th of, of um of December uh, and then we're heading uh, over to Malaga so um, I've also allowed myself a week when we get back from Malaga to focus on the planning of book two as well so um, again it, you know it's fairly uh, formulaic it's 45 chapters plus author notes um, the uh, there's there are dual stories this is what I tend to do with my psychological thrillers there's a dual story uh, running through from the 1970s in this thriller so it, I found it very easy actually to just go through and write the 1970s thread the reason reason why is because um the 1970s thread of the story you know is is, is um it, it creates uh, intrigue and mystery but I don't have to pay the same attention to uh, obviously dropping you know clues suggestions hints mysteries uh, and then being able to wrap them up at the end so the the purpose of the 1970s storyline is generally uh, you know sort of character development and background even though it does um, you know create mysteries that feed into the main plot I'm not under the same pressure with that with that older uh, 1970s plot line so I rattled that out pretty quickly um, and then um, I'm just focusing a bit more now on how I keep the intrigue and the twists and the turns going because I've got to leave plenty of powder dry for book three, the final part of the trilogy. And I have to say, I do, you know, I do like the, um, I, I do really like the rhythm of trilogies. It's funny that the first books I ever wrote were a trilogy. So I've written so many trilogies. Um, I do really like the rhythms of a trilogy. And when you think about it, this is going to be 225,000 words. It's quite a substantial uh, amount of writing if you told me to write a 225,000 word novel I'd probably be terrified at that at the prospect of it but breaking it down like that into three trilogies I find much more manageable I do like that three-part um, storytelling technique it really always has worked very well for me so when we get back from Malaga I will start actually writing that book on Monday the 16th of January and uh, it's due well it's due about four months after that Claire so I've, you know I've got about four months to get that ship shape and written and I'll tell you more about you know how I'll be writing that and how I'll be carving up my time uh, in the next episode when I look ahead to quarter one of 2023. So what else has been going on in this final part of the year well I can reveal in a, a big announcement that I finished work at the university um, I, I, in theory I'm still on contract but I had so much leave uh, that I finished I think on the about what's the date now yeah finished about the 13th 14th of December and I'm just um, spending all my leave until the end of the month so um, yeah I decided it was just just overnight actually I, I just spent one sleepless night um, thinking about various things and um because since I've got back to the writing I've been completely squeezed on the marketing I, I, I don't have enough time you know to do the marketing and this job and I just decided right well that you know that's fine it's got me back into the into the zone I did fight really struggle when we got back from Spain um, from all that disruption to get back into any kind of a routine but my wife's uh, back to her the work that she was doing now which is great um, and I'm into a nice routine again now I'm writing which is great so this is going to allow me uh, more time to write and more time to do my marketing so so frankly I'm pretty well back to the writing as, as, as what I do so 
I'm done at the university now. Uh, we head off to Malaga. I come back and I'm kind of uh, a, a free, inverted commas, retired man again. But obviously, you know, I don't want to be retired. I want to get on and do something purposeful and creative. And that will mean um, writing book two of this trilogy in the next quarter of the year. And the other thing that's happened, it's, it's funny, actually, it's been quite useful doing this job because it's enabled me to reestablish a load of my business contacts in the city again. Um, because it was all you know it was just basically doing what I was doing before but with uh, younger people and um, I've been offered uh, my kind of pay-as-you-go uh, what do you call it uh, zero hours it's a zero hours contract that offers more work that I can deal with but I've got been offered my corporate work back again basically so um, I will um, I'll do that because I uh, that actually suits me better than being on a on a sort of contract where I have to turn up from from nine to five for two days a week. Uh, I do. I, it's terrible, isn't it? Because if you think I haven't worked full time since I think it's two thousand and eight, because I was part time working before I took my career break and then before I went self employed. So I haven't worked full time since two thousand and eight, and I find it extremely difficult to do a nine to five now. I get to about three o'clock in the afternoon. And I get fidgety. I think, right, that's me done now. I'm a bit tired. Uh, and normally in my own business, I, you know, I would not be doing creative stuff normally at, th at three o'clock in the afternoon. I'd be doing marketing or, or general admin stuff. But it's not a high energy time for me, um, three o'clock in the afternoon. So, so when I've got complete autonomy in my own business, I just go off and, you know, I would, I would record a podcast at that time, something like this. You know, I'd, I'd want to just change the scenery, but I wouldn't do a high concentration task at that time in the afternoon. And so having to, to, to do a nine to five just feels really alien to me now. Uh, I find it very difficult. So this zero hours pay as you go kind of corporate work. And by, by zero hours, what I mean is they offer me stuff and I, I either agree or, or say I, I can't do it. And we, get, and we get it booked in and I know ahead of time that I'm doing it. And what I tend to do is I tend to fit it around my existing schedule. So where I've got gaps in my schedule, I'll, I'll take on work, but I don't have to if I don't, if I don't want to. So it, it suits me really well. So um, I'll be doing the pay-as-you-go corporate work. I've got uh, my first gig booked in for February, so I said I wasn't going to be taking on very much. But um, I think this is after we get back from Spain. It's the end of February I've taken on um, a training gig. And um, under this existing contract, you know, it, it pays extremely well, two per hour. So, um, you know, that it would be crazy for me to say no to that. So I will be taking on a little bit more of that, but I will just be popping it into the gaps, uh, you know, where I've got a natural gap occurring and say if my wife's working that day, uh, we can't go off an adventure, then I'll probably just say, oh, that's fine. You know, if it's a two hours training session, that's fine. Um, the other thing is I'm not very keen. I'm, I'm more reluctant now to do full day training. This is just a two hour webinar based training. So I don't even have to leave home to do it. So that's the sort of thing that suits me more nowadays if I could do it remotely, uh, you know, rather than traveling or being there for a day. But um, as I say, you know, I, I reestablished all these relationships as a result of uh, being back at the university. And um, you know, I've arranged to go and see somebody else for a coffee after uh, in, the, in the new year too. And, um, and somebody else is trying to get me uh, involved in something as well. So um, obviously I'm, I'm going to resist getting too involved in anything, but it is nice. I, I do prefer to have these, uh, you know, do it as you please kind of work rather than having to turn up to do the nine to five every day. So that kind of brings you up to date with where I am. Let me just mention now a couple of things of interest that have come up since I last spoke to you. Um, I, I've heard about it on all the other podcasts, but I just wanted to mention to you the Written Word Media Annual Survey. And I've put a link in the show notes just in case this is something that's passed you by. 
I do find this survey really, uh, really, really interesting because it, it literally gives you a blueprint to what you need to do to be a successful author. And it's pretty well the same every year. If you want to look at what six-figure authors are doing, it tells you how much time they're spending writing, how much time they're spending marketing, and it tells you that they commit to high-quality book covers, high-quality edits, and, um, and they commit a, a substantial amount of their time to marketing. It also tells you that you need to have a substantial number of books written to go into that sort of earning zone. So if you want a, a ready-made blueprint, you know, everything everything is simple but hard. But, but the simple blueprint is write more books, get quality covers, get quality edits, and concentrate on your marketing. That is, if you want the six-figure blueprint, written word media tells you it every year. And uh, that's kind of what I'm working on. I'm chug-chug-chugging along. Now, although I've got 40 books, I don't have 40 books in my most successful genre, which of course is psychological thrillers. So my aim obviously is to build those, uh, build up my psychological thrillers. And I'm working on a new series now that will enable me to do that because that's where I make my sales. Those are my easiest sales. Now I have science fiction, but my science, I mean, my science fiction brings in extra income, but it doesn't bring in a high level of income. It's what you know. It's chugging income, and it does bring an income. And I certainly wouldn't switch it off. And if I focus more, frankly, on the advertising, I would probably make more income from my science fiction. But because my thrillers are the ones that earn the money more easily, there's less friction around my thrillers. That's obviously where I put the bulk of my attention. But as I as I work on Amazon ads and hopefully you know get the hang of Amazon ads and get better results, then sure as heck my uh, non-fictions and my sci-fis are going in there. In fact, I've already been through uh, Matthew Holmes's training. I already have the ads for my non-fiction and my science fiction. Uh, I certainly got them in the UK. I might have them in the US. I don't think I've got them in Canada and Australia yet, but I, I went through and set up all the ads. Now, they're not running yet in those categories, but the ads are all set up and ready to go at a point at which I can release them and not sort of spend vast amounts of money, uh, you know, kind of learning how to do things. So I, I need to get the uh, thrillers running profitably first, and then I'll release the non-fiction or the sci-fi, get them running profitably, and then release the other ones behind them. What I can't do is have three genres um, all in a learning phase where it's costing me a lot of money. Uh, you know, I'm spending more money than I'm making. I can't r run three genres like that. So I'm focusing on the psychological thrillers first of all. But do take a look at the Written Word Media Annual Survey. You know, I know it's only, a, I think it's a sample of about 1,300 authors or something. I'm sure I heard that on a podcast somewhere. So, you know, it's not, uh, I, I, if you did your stats and things and somebody said, oh, it's not a, uh, you know, a proper sample or whatever. I don't know what you need for a proper sample, but it is very indicative and every year it pretty well says the same. And, and, and if you're searching for that elusive blueprint, just, just read it. That's your blueprint. That, that's all you've got to do. Uh, I say all you've got to do. Obviously, that's it's all easier said than done. But the, the blueprint is simply the things uh, that those successful authors are doing. You've just got to find your way of rinsing and repeating that formula. That's exactly what I'm working on constantly. And as you've heard, if you've heard on these tortuous podcast episodes, it doesn't happen overnight either. It takes you, you know, some time, or some of us, it takes some time to keep applying ourselves uh, to keep working at that. Um, and it's interesting to contrast that survey with a survey, um, the author earnings report, 
report, I beg your pardon. And I, I've got a link to this in the Guardian newspaper, which is a UK uh, newspaper. And I'll share this link on the, um, you know, on the show notes this week. But it's a report uh, that was commissioned by the UK Authors Licensing and Collecting Society, the ALCS. And it was carried out by the UK Copyright and Creative Economy Research Centre. Uh, based at the University of Glasgow, and very simply, it found that professional authors, which by which I, I take it to mean traditional, are all thing, uh, are earning, I beg your pardon, a median of just £7,000 a year. £7,000 a year is what um, the, you know, the median of traditional authors is earning. So I'm earning several times that and have been for, for couple of years couple of, more than a couple of years now so three or four years maybe um, and, and I would consider myself to be an unsuccessful author you know I, because I I, I I guess I guess the reason that I consider myself to be unsuccessful is I compare it to the money that I made when I was in corporate life when I was working for the BBC so this is all relative, of course. So, you know, what it, what I would count as inverted commas successful in financial terms, you might have a lower or a much higher number than me, depending, I guess, on what you've earned in your working life. So I know that my kids, for instance, would say that seven thousand pounds a year, you know, is not is not terrible. It's not a terrible uh, uh, wage. But I say I'm comparing it with my corporate career. Now, one of the things that I have managed to achieve in my writing life, and I've told you this in previous podcasts, is that in that COVID year, uh, gross, uh, and remember your salary is gross, you, you, you have to compare like with like, because when, when you earn a salary and a job, um, it, you're gonna take whatever your commitments are, you know, your credit card, your, your mortgage, your car payments, your food. And, and so, you know, the net of what you've got for your salary for most people is a minus number. Um, you know, they're not, they're not able to save. So that so um, to compare like with like, I'm happy to compare my gross income with, with, with my salary, for instance, because your salary, you receive your salary at work, uh, net of tax as well. That's the other thing you've got to remember. So it's quite hard to compare like with like. But my gross income in 2020, the year of COVID, I earned more gross in that year than I ever earned in my working life, even at the BBC. So uh, gross, remember, not net, uh, because the, the the way I then go to spend the money, uh, you know, paying for ads and things like that is a different matter altogether. You know, what you get left with at the end is a different matter altogether. So, so compared with that £7,000 a year, um, that would suggest that I'm a successful self-published author even though I don't feel like a self successful self-published author because I'm always comparing my income with what I made at the BBC. And so to me to be successful, I would need to regularly earn more than I was earning at the BBC. So if your number is lower than that, clearly it's going to be easier for you to achieve your number, whatever your number is. And if your number is higher than mine, then it's going to be a lot harder for you to achieve that, of course. So we're all, we're all, um, on our own walk we're all on our own self-publishing journey to coin a phrase uh, but seven thousand pound of the year i think is a really interesting starting point you know because if you want to set yourself uh, a, a target then if you if you breach seven thousand pounds a year in your earnings then you are already more successful than most traditional authors and that's that's a pretty good achievement and i'm very poor at this you know i'm i'm sort of very 
I am very poor at, at looking at what I have achieved. I, I tend to focus on what I haven't achieved yet that I want to achieve rather than what I have achieved. But I am very, very, very safely and have been for several years now above that number, well above that number. Um, so, you know, I need to take some solace in that when I'm beating myself up for not getting the numbers that I want to do. Uh, but, you know, these surveys are all very, very interesting um i think uh so anyhow i'll put the the notes for that uh on this week's show notes if you want to take a look at the article from the guardian to save you from hunting for it now i'm very sorry i'm going to apologize now but you're going to hear a lot about matthew j holmes's um training in the in the year ahead because i'm about to immerse myself in all of it you know when i get back from managa i'm about to immerse myself in the facebook and, and amazon training uh, so I, 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 I apologise, sort of sorry, not sorry. I apologise, but I'm not sorry because I do want to share it with you. And what I want to share with you right now is a brilliant thread that Matthew did on Twitter. And again, go to the show notes. I've put the URL to the thread on the show notes this week. And it's one of these, you know, multi-part tweets where you just follow the tweet down. I think it's about 14 or, or 15, 16 parts of the tweet. And what Matthew's done in that tweet is he has shown you step by step how to set up a Facebook ad. Now, this will save you wading through any number of wafflesome videos, you know, to get to the end goal. And he, he, I went through it, I went through it to check that I'm doing everything right and that's what I do. And I went through it and thought, yep, that's exactly what I do. In a thread, you know, in 14 parts, he has shown you exactly what to do with a Facebook ad. So I'm going to share that tweet with you. And I highly recommend if you're struggling with Facebook ads, look at it, read it, absorb it. Now, it's like I said with the kind of six-figure author strategy it's both easy and hard the six-figure author strategy there's about five components to it you've just got you just got to do those five components and it's the same with Facebook ads you've just got to follow the components of that ad yet there are all sorts of things then that could influence your ads number one you know you your the, the sales copy the wording that you use the button that you use the image that you use the book that you send them to? Has it got a rubbishy cover? Has it got a rubbishy blurb? Uh, is the audience correct that you've chosen to target those Facebook ads? So, you know, on the one hand, you've got a step-by-step -step absolute guide to what to do with a Facebook ad. On the other hand, there are so many other things you've got to get right to make sure that that ad actually works. But I offer, it, I offer it to you because it will save you a lot of time working out exactly what you have to do in an ad. So if you go into Facebook and you're not familiar with it, you'll be you'll see all these options. And at first, they'll mean absolutely nothing to you. And the benefit of that thread that Matthew's done is that you can just go click, 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 put an image in here, put some text in here, off we go. I now have an ad that, uh, you know, is going to say it's going to save you a lot of time because if you go into Facebook ads the first time, you're probably sending your ads to Instagram and, and into the Facebook marketplace and all sorts. And we switch all those things off in Facebook ads. We just go for the timeline because that's where they're most effective and it will save you all that pain of all that kind of learning if you were to fumble your way through now as i say you're going to then have to get all the other bits right the tweaking right but that is a brilliant post i shared it uh, on twitter when i saw it it is it, you know in, in 14 steps that's how you do facebook ads so Again, head for the show notes and uh, you can wade through that. Uh, let's say wade through. It won't take you very long to go through it at all and see uh, where you're up to with it. Uh, you get some lovely things happening when you're an author. So, for instance, you know, I had somebody commenting on my books and it was somebody that I knew 
from my college days and we reconnected and these days when I'm running down in Lancaster which is where I went to college um, I see him all the time at the running events and we've kind of reconnected through the books which is just you know a, a wonderful thing to happen and one of those wonderful things again happened the other day that um, a, a lady emailed me I won't give her name um, and I won't tell you what her job is but when when I emailed when I saw the bottom of the email or the auto signature it had a quite a distinctive uh, job title and I checked the distinctive job title out. I'm going to check you out because you look like, you know, quite an interesting person, not just, a, you know, inverted commas, a random reader. And sure enough, uh, this person used to sing with the 1960s pop group, the Settlers, who were a big pop group in the 1960s in the UK. And the Settlers did a song called The Lightning Tree. And The Lightning Tree was the song that went with a TV series called Follyfoot, which was uh, all about uh, horses. And Follyfoot um, used to be the punctuation of my Sunday evening. So uh, those of you who are of a certain age will remember the days when on a Sunday evening, all you got from about sort of six o'clock in the evening was religious broadcasting and, um, and sort of quite posh television. It was, it was suitable television for a Sunday evening. And you get this kind of impending sense of doom uh, that it was hair washing night and, and and you had to be ready for school the next day and, and the lightning tree was sort of when that music came on for folly foot on a sunday afternoon that would be the beginning for me of that kind of feeling of oh my god it's school again tomorrow and um, the, the song i like the song but um, that's the association so the the lady who was reading the books and fortunately said how much she's enjoyed them and liking all the twists and twists and turns and things this was the lady who sings on the lightning tree so it was just one of those really interesting things that happens that somebody, you know, from all those years ago, from 1970s, it was that song, 19, must be really early 1970s, I would guess, when I was at primary school, that somebody from my past should then connect with me in a really interesting way in my future, my present now, um, through my books. So books can be wonderful things. They're really remarkable things. Moving on from that then, something that I was really pleased about, it's only a small thing, but you know, for people like me who are a little bit OCD with these things, it was brilliant. Amazon has now introduced archiving. Now, if you've listened for a long time, you'll have heard me tell you about my dodgy self-publishing past. So when I, when I was in internet marketing and everybody was getting excited at internet marketing about the opportunity that was offered by Kindle, all the internet marketers, we were all putting pretty low quality books on Amazon and, and seeing if they would sell. And I'd heard about all these people, you know, this Amazon kind of gold rush. Now, um, in those days, we used to think, use things called PLR, private label rights material. And private label rights materials was where some big internet marketer would get people, uh, uh, usually, in the, you know, in the Philippines on contracts to write books about different elements of internet marketing. And you would pay a a small license fee for these things and you could put your name on them and um, you just license them as your books and I listed before I did anything before I was even writing The Secret Bunker before it was even a pipe dream as an internet marketer I'd listed three of these PLR books with my name on them on Amazon and they hadn't done anything they hadn't sold any copies and uh, Amazon slapped them <laughs> fairly quickly actually so I've got like three clamped books on my on my old Amazon account I've got these three clamped books there that Amazon blocked when they got wise to what all the internet marketers were doing, you know, to my eternal shame, they're still there. And also, though, I've, I've, I've told you in the past, that I've run some secret projects that I, I will never reveal uh, with author names that you will never find and you'll never find any evidence of them uh, unless you get into my account. 
And, um, you know, these books, they were just tests, me just testing stuff, uh, really, again, with my internet marketing hat on, even though they were proper books this time. I'd, I kind of learned that lesson. Um, and, and these titles, and also titles that I've republished. So, um, again, as I've learned more things, sometimes I've republished a couple of my books as well with different titles. And so over the course of the years that I've been self-published, I've got all these kind of straggly titles that are unpublished in my in my bookshelf area on, on, on my KDP dashboard. And, um, and so now they've introduced archiving. Um, it's a very sad thing, but I've now managed to tidy the thing up beautifully. So all those dodgy titles and the republished titles, they're all gone now. And I've now got a beautifully tidy bookshelf in, in my Kindle Direct Publishing area with just the books that are currently published or that I'm currently working on. So it's a very tiny thing, but for people like me, it's actually quite an important thing because I, I used to have, I don't know how many pages it scrolled through to on um, Kindle Direct Publishing, but nowadays, the only books that are there, I'm just gonna have a quick look. I think it's only about three tabs I'm on now uh, with, with my various books that I've got published, but it really just reduce the kind of number of um, tabs. Oh, no, I've still, still got six tabs there, is that right? Has it, has it archived those? Yeah, I've got six tabs there now. Well, I must have had an awful lot more tabs um, on there before, uh, but now they're all tidied up and they're in an archive area. So I know, you know, I know it's a tidy little thing, but I'm actually really pleased about that. It's made my life um, a little bit more happy. Um, I wanted to share a useful article from the Alliance of Independent Authors. I, I do get a lot of value from their podcast, and I just happened to listen to the last one I think it was Sasha Black was working with who was she co-presenting with I can't remember who she was co-presenting with that week um, but it was talking about the dreaded Amazon slap where they clamp your account and uh, they ask you to prove copyright of your titles and Sasha was sharing her horror story of how this had happened I just wanted to let you know because this is so important something that um, those of us who are listed on Amazon live in fear of is that um, there is a great blog post on this on the Alliance of Independent Authors blog and I will put the link I'll put the link um, on the show notes ra rather than sort of reading it out to you I'll just put it on the show notes but it gives you chapter and verse on what you should do if you get one of these um, you know Amazon's blocked your account you've got so many weeks to prove copyright and if you don't we'll close your account I mean that's quite terrifying frankly um, it tells you what to do but the other thing I did learn on that and, and this is why I would always be a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors is that if you are a member then you could um, you could raise a sort of ticket with them and because they've got contacts of, at Amazon and, and obviously so long as you are a legitimate author um, they will then sort of represent you and get that looked at on your behalf so uh, you're going to hear this from me later when you hear about my sort of favorite resources you'll hear me repeating the same thing but you know I think you've got to be a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors for that kind of uh, representation that it's almost like union representation if you want to call it that and also for the five free uh, vouchers that you get every month to publish your books for free on on Ingram Spark uh, you know I think apart from all the value you get otherwise that alone is worth the membership fee for that level of protection so I will share that blog post which is an open blog post by the way even if you're not a member it's an open blog post I'll share that with you on the show notes uh, I, I you know I suggest you put that in your favorite to tuck that away somewhere just in case and I hope we never do but just in case you should um, ever need that the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is also from the Alliance of Independent Authors. So I've been getting a lot of value from the Alliance of Independent Authors this month. And this is taken from listening to Orna and Joanna's Advanced podcast. And they were talking about quitting in this episode. I do actually 
recommend that you listen to it because it's, it's talking about when is it time to give things up? When is it time to quit stuff? And I, I'm really interested in this because obviously, well, I, you know, I've got, I've got a history of quitting stuff, but I would argue I've quitted it at the right time. And they're talking about repositioning this concept of quitting. We always view quitting as failure. We view it as a negative thing, but actually it's not always a negative thing and can seldom be a negative thing if you just if you just reframe it now this whole conversation was based around a book by annie duke uh, called quit the book is called quit and i'm currently listening to this in audiobook form and um, i bought it on interestingly i bought it because i didn't want to start a new i didn't want to buy a new audible subscription um because i i, I can't keep up with one one a month um, and I've got so many books that I haven't yet listened to on Audible that I didn't want to, to, to get any more. I wanted to get a one-off effectively. So I found out, I think I bought this one from the Kobo audiobooks. And then I also found out that if you get the um, the audiobooks, it's just called audiobooks uh, app, audiobook app, you get a free book with them too. So I, I think I've just been using, I think I've got the last two audiobooks free, but I didn't want to get into a subscription again because I've got so many audiobooks uh, waiting still to be listened to, but, but all of them non-fiction I hasten to add. But this book is called uh, Quit by Annie Duke, and I'll put a link to this uh, on the show notes. But it, it's, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to retread the ground, but I'm finding it absolutely um, fascinating. You know, uh, Annie Duke's book goes into stories of businesses where people didn't quit and should have and did quit and should have and uh, she talks about things like wars where people get caught up in in wars and they have so many sunken costs you know in terms of lives lost uh, resources committed and money spent that it gets more difficult to quit the, the deeper you get in but it, it very much says that um, you know, often people quit too late or they quit too soon, and it's about trying to find the the right time to quit. So I quit this podcast, but actually, because uh, it was the right time to quit when I quit the podcast, and it's now for me the right time to come back and do some new episodes for the podcast. So um, it, it, you know, it's about stopping and starting things at the right time. And I, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm really enjoying the audiobook, uh, but I also, also you, you'll get a huge taste of it from Orna and Joanna's podcast. You don't want to spend any money at all and just get the idea of what's being talked about. And both Orna and Joanna talk about the things that they've quitted this year and in the past and it's just a fascinating uh, topic so I'll put the podcast link on there I'll put the link to Annie Duke's book on there and it is highly recommended reading stroke listening now at the beginning of this podcast I teased a couple of numbers I said I'm in the top six percent and the top 25 percent of something and I just uh, wanted to share this with you. Uh, it's quite interesting, actually. This is the top 25%, by the way. I'm trying to remember what the top... Oh, I don't remember what the top 6% is. I'm just trying to remember what the top 6% was. This is the top 25%. So um, somebody that I listen to for podcast information is a gentleman called Colin something, whose surname I've forgotten, Colin. And he's based up in Scotland, and I've met him in person. But he runs the thepodcasthost.com, thepodcasthost.com. And he uh, has a blog post about what is a great number of downloads for a podcast. Now, I know a couple of you who listen to this this particular show will be as interested as I am in, in what makes you a successful podcast. And this is, this is interesting, again, for me, because 
you know, I always compare this with kind of radio numbers, and I, I compare it with people who've told me they've got multi-million downloads. But this is this is absolutely fascinating. So these are the numbers that Colin puts on uh, on podcast downloads. So if you get more than twenty nine, this is within the, the, the within seven days of the release of a new episode. If you get more than twenty nine downloads, you're in the top fifty percent of podcasts. Well, I've had that for years, so that that's great. That's a very comfortable number. Um, if you get more than 101 downloads in the first seven days of release, you're in the top 25% of podcasts. So I'm definitely in the top 25% of podcasts, but actually I have been in the top 10% of podcasts, according to this, which is more than 386 downloads in the first seven days of release. Now, do you remember I said to you about that November episode that I downloaded? Uh, that would have put me in the top 10%, I think. I'm fairly sure of it. I, it's, it's a bit sort of borderline as to whether all those downloads came within that time frame, uh, but they certainly came within a short time frame. Um, so I, I've discovered from that that I, that puts me at about, you know, I'm somewhere between 25 to 10% of the top um, uh, podcasts in terms of downloads. If you get more than 938 downloads within seven days of release of an episode, you're in the top 5%. And then these are the things that dreams are made of. If you get more than 4,683 downloads within seven days, you're in the top 1% of podcasts. And those numbers were updated on the 10th of October, 2022. So I'm somewhere between 25 and 10% uh, on my seven day uh, download. So again, I was saying to you earlier that I probably beat myself up too much regarding the level of income that I make from my books because I compare it with my salary. I probably beat myself up too much about the downloads I get from the podcast because I compare it with uh, radio and I compare it with people who are doing ridiculous numbers of, of podcasts. You know, so I might hear how many uh, podcast episodes Joanna Penn's got in a lifetime, forgetting, of course, that she's got is she 500, 600 or so episodes now over a 10 year period. You know, and then you compare yourself with that and think, oh, I'm not doing very well. But then, of course, they've had time to build that impetus and get that, uh, you know, get that uh, listenership, if you want. Though I, I don't think I would get that listenership on my podcast. I don't think it's broad enough appeal. Uh, you know, it's quite a, uh, it's quite a unique thing. It's like if you don't like, if you can't listen to somebody rabbited on for an hour, you ain't going to like my podcast. Um, you know, though, though those who do like it seem very committed to it. But um, so, you know, so I'm never going to be a four thousand six hundred eighty-three download podcast but I'm quite happy having seen those figures to be a top 10 to uh, sorry top 25 to top 10 percent uh, podcast that feels about right uh, right for me and that it's a reasonable level of achievement but I, I understand at a personal level that if I wanted to be top five percent I would have to be a lot more committed to it do a lot more editing probably do a lot more prep for it and I, I don't want to do that certainly not at the moment so, uh, so so that's where I am I'm happy to be in that zone and I hope that if you've got your own podcast, there's some consolation in there for you with your numbers as well. I'm sharing another Twitter thread with you uh, as well. The, I really quite like these Twitter threads. You know, um, I'm not quite sure how you do them. I think you just keep replying to yourself. I'm not actually quite sure how you do them. But where you get a thread on a single topic, and I, I really actually like reading those when you get a good one. And Mark Dawson did one the other day, um, which I really enjoyed. And I found out about it, actually, because uh, Dan Sewell, who I've interviewed on the podcast before, and he's a, you know, a friend of the show in that we're always chit-chatting on, on Twitter and, and exchanging news. And um, Dan, had, Dan had sort of attributed, uh, thank you very much for this vote of confidence, Dan. He'd sort of shared Mark's tweet about um, Mark's uh, fortunes, you know, how his fortunes have gone from 
do it making nothing in self-publishing to obviously being a multi-million seller uh, uh, writer author and making a considerable amount of money he was sort of sharing his journey and explaining what he's learned on that journey so it makes a it's a great thread and i've put it on the I'll put the link to the thread on the show notes for you if you haven't read that. And Dan had very kindly said that he attributes his learning and his current level of success uh, to, you know, to following Mark, uh, Joanna Penn and me. And there's a funny phrase that Mark's, Mark uses uh, in, in, the, in that thread. And I should have had this ready. I do apologize. I, I never have the things ready that I want when I want to talk to you about this stuff. But Dan had, had done that post. And I had replied to him. Let's see if I can find the thread here. I'd said, um, uh, thanks for that adding to me to the list. But I suspect I may be one of the telephone number ranks suggest that they don't know their ass from their elbow. This is something that Mark had described. He said, if, um, you know, if people are setting themselves up as gurus, then if they've got telephone number ranks on Amazon, that suggests that they don't know their ass from their elbow. And so I was saying to Dan, I suggest I might be one of the ass from elbow guys. And then Dan had used a really great phrase in his reply which is no you're the patron saint of struggling indies which i just think that needs to be the subtitle of my podcast now uh, paul's podcast diary from the patron saint of struggling indies which i think is just hilarious so thank thanks for the vote of confidence dan but that's a great phrase to use that almost needs putting on a t-shirt doesn't it for the next writers conference that so um, yeah i'll put the thread on the show notes for you to look at but uh, you know mark's comments there are really interesting uh, looking at his 10 years as an indie author and I think he also contrasts it to sort of being a, a traditional publisher as well nearly done now just want to mention Ingram Spark um, Ingram Spark just like um, like Google Books you know Google Books for ages kind of languish and didn't really do very much then all of a sudden they seem to uh, get a new zest for life and they started to um, you know Google started to get everything sorted and be, be more, much more organized and I feel that way with Ingram Spark at the moment too um, if you if you're in Ingram Spark they've got a really so much improved ads and reports section now if you want to look at what your earnings are and, and where you made those earnings now Ingram Spark I've said to you fairly you know fairly consistently I think for the last couple of episodes I've done I'm actually earning money from Ingram Spark these days but you know I haven't got a clue where it's coming from I couldn't tell you who was buying them or where because um, you know I just take the checks obviously that come in and I think one of them's from the US and one of them's from the UK uh, income and uh, but I haven't got a clue who's selling those I don't really have a clue which books are selling because I can't be bothered to, to download csv files which you don't really understand um i can't be bothered to do it um but now ingram spark have got this great um, reports and uh, interface and you can just sort of see it. you can see what your most popular book is and you can see where you're selling and you you can see what your income is going to be uh, over the next month you can see your gross sales you know i'm quite impressed with gross sales so um you know well done kudos to ingram spark and then i caught something the other day this is something i've diaried i think ingram spark i, I kind of it's one of these things are half caught on somebody's podcast and i diaried it to check it and it's and, and i checked it uh, a week or so ago and it wasn't there yet and i've diaried it for january when, when we're back in um from where are we going Malaga. when we come back from Malaga, uh to check it then 
but I think Ingram Spark are going to do something quite interesting with an ads interface. I think this is pending. It's about to be released. So I've, I've, my antennae are twitching on that and I want to see what they're up to. I wish I could remember what which podcast it was. It's probably one of these that I heard uh, when I was sleeping in bed, when I, you know, I listen to podcasts that make myself drift off if I wake up early in the morning. And I drift in and out these podcasts, hearing snippets, thinking, oh, I've got to try and remember that in the morning. And then, and then I don't. But I, I retain that amount of information about it, but can't remember where I got it. So if I hear any more, anything more, I'll share it in one form or another. But certainly the reports at Ingram Spark are great now. You know, kudos to them for doing that. And I'm looking at these ads. I, I, I believe they've got some new ads interface coming, which I'll be really interested in having a look at when it does. Um, finally, I just wanted to thank Janice Wildy, who bought me uh, a number of coffees on uh, Buy Me A Coffee, uh, my kind of little system that i use for supporting the podcast um, janice thanks ever so much for your uh, for, for buying me those coffees uh, it's always much appreciated um, and janice said uh, i so enjoyed your podcast i laughed out loud at your description of most amazon ad courses and we'll be going back to check the one that you recommend um, and this is this is this is why i love you see i, I quit the podcast because i felt that i was uh, not sharing anything new and f from a kind of book writing point of view I was a bit in the wilderness at that point I wasn't really wasn't sure what was going to to come next and now I've kind of got my pizzazz back and it's it's I'm happy to do episodes like this again it's absolutely fine but one of the things I did miss about that podcast is chatting to you and when you reach out to me and, and we we have these conversations I don't know whether a pod I think a podcast must attract you know the kind of people that you would like to talk to in real life because um you know when i meet everybody in real life everybody's really nice so i i miss that interaction with you people who are listening to this uh this show and you know janice had listened to me talking about my kind of crazy dj plans and uh, i'll tell you more about that in, in episodes that are coming in new year and, and uh, sort of over the new year but uh, janice says that she was a dj in college and um, she's really interested to follow along with, with what I'm kind of learning in that area. So I will be talking about my DJ stuff, all, all you know, all a little bit tongue in cheek because I'm a little bit old to be doing DJ stuff. But um, but I'm having great fun, and I'll tell you more as I say in subsequent episodes. But um, she's enjoying the DJ stuff, and I we had a little exchange, and, and Janice was on the radio and things like that. You know, it's so interesting the people that you meet through this podcast, and just through little things that you mentioned. Uh, they always spark, um, you know, memories or, or or people wanted to share their own experiences. And, and she said um, also, thank you very much for this, that the advice and research is helping on her writer's journey too. So thanks ever so much, Janice. It was just always, and I, I don't think Janice and I have spoken before. It's always lovely when somebody I've not spoken to, you know, c comes out the woodwork and, and has a chat and lets me know what they're up to. So I, I do enjoy that. And that is a, an element of this podcast that I have uh, missed. I, you know, I can tell you that. I do like the interaction that comes from the podcast. And it's also even better when you then go on to meet people at writing conferences and things like that. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, the professional business membership organisation for self-published authors. I found that I usually cover the cost of membership by using the special codes given out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership is easily paid for. 
However, Ally is much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors of all levels, and the amazing online conferences which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best essential professional membership service for all indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I. So you've caught up with what I've been up to since November, since that bumper two hour plus episode uh, that I dropped. And now I'm just going to go through the whiteboard objectives that I set myself at the beginning of January 2022. And there is a podcast episode I think I'm pretty sure I did a January 2022 podcast episode just bringing everything up to date so you can go back and listen to that if you want to but um, I'll go through the year as an overview and sort of let you know what's been achieved over the year and I think if there's one thing I've been consistent with this year it's my running interestingly rather than my writing Um, I use a little app called Strava which connects to my watch that I have that you know tells me how far I've run and how fast I've run and it records it all on Strava. And I got, um, I love it uh, when social media and apps and things that you have, they all uh, let you know about, um, you know, your year in review. And I jotted the stats from my running year in review. And Strava tells me that I ran on 184 days of 2022. So I ran virtually half of the year, I think that is, is it? Yeah, it's yeah, so over half of the year, I think. So I pretty well run four days a week, which makes sense. I run four days a week, as, as many days a week as I can. And sometimes I guess I, I run a little bit more, but my routine is to run four days a week now. And that puts me up, this is the other statistic I teased you with at the beginning, that apparently puts me up the top 6% on Strava, which I'm quite surprised at really, because uh, that doesn't mean I'm the top 10, 6% of athletes. It just means that the number of activities that I've done are top 6%. I mean, you know, it'd be lovely if it was the top 6% of athletes, but we're a long way off that. Um, but it, in terms of that activity, it puts me in the top 6% on Strava. Now, the longest, I haven't told you about this, the longest running activity that I did this year, I ran 22.5 kilometers in one day, which is 13.98 miles. And there is 13.1 miles in a half marathon. Now, I'm pretty sure I haven't told you this, but um, at the Nature Reserve, we have every year something called a 100 mile per hour challenge. And you don't have to run at 100 miles per hour. What they try and do over the course of a 24 hour period is they invite runners and walkers, people pushing buggies, you know, toddlers, it doesn't matter who you are. They try and and get people walking, running, whatever they do, 100 miles for each hour over a 24 hour period. And this year, they just missed it. It was by a ridiculous amount. It's like literally, if everybody who'd been there at the end had done one more mile, we'd have made it. So it it sounds unachievable, but we almost made it this year. When I went along, uh, the year previously, I went for my normal Sunday run and they were in the middle of this thing. I hadn't really understood what it was about. They were in the middle of this thing. And I said, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll run and I'll make a donation. I I did my normal run and then made a donation for the the miles that I'd run on my normal day and sort of thought, oh, I'll, I'll do that next year. And this year, what I'd intended to do was go and do a five kilometer on the Saturday and a five kilometer on the Sunday. And that would be my contribution. I went there on the Saturday and said to my wife, you know, I'll be about an hour while I drive there and do my run. And I was actually there for about two and a half hours because I started running and I got the 5K done. And I thought, uh, well, 
let's do let's do 10 i'll do the 10 because i know i can do 10 and i got to 10 and when i got to 10 i was going strong and i thought well, you know i've only got to do this a few more times and and you know we'll we'll get to 15 that's just the most i've ever done and basically i just kept going because i'd got the energy to keep going and i got to a certain stage and all the time i'd sort of thought oh, i'll stop at this i'll stop at this and i'll i'll do a bit more tomorrow uh, but I just kept going and I was fine and, I, and as you were running around you were seeing people and you know exchanging pleasantries and things it was a lovely sociable event and um, I just thought do you know what I'm going to get a half marathon in here if I keep keep going I'll get a half marathon it seems a shame having broken my record of 10 kilometers it seemed a shame to stop so I just kept going and I got 22.5 kilometers in which is I went over a half marathon because um, I just wanted to make sure I was well over a half marathon not just right on it and um and i've never done that before and i've never aspired to run marathons or half marathons now what i can tell you is i was really i think i did i think i did another 5k the next day actually but i what i can tell you is i was like really um i had back pain i've not had back pain for years um and i was really achy as you'd expect um after doing that but it was a very pleasant surprise to me and the reason i'd done it is so many of the people i run with um you always sort of think runners are athletes or you know something special i run with so many people who are you know heavier than me bigger than me older than me and they're all running faster than me and what you learn very quickly when, when you do running uh, you know at um, any length of time is that it really doesn't matter who you are what you look like what age you are you know anybody can run um what shape what size you are anybody can run and be successful at running and it's certainly blown away loads of misconceptions I had about that. You know, what is a runner? What is an athlete? And, um, and I've seen so many people that I know, inverted commas, normal people doing marathons and half marathons. And I'm, I, I'd always set my cap at 10 kilometers. And then I thought, well, you know, I ought to be able to do that really because I, I run with these people every week. So that's really what spurred me on. So yeah, I, I did a half marathon by accident. I, and I, how do you do an accidental half marathon? Well, that, that's how I did it. And um, it's not official, of course, because it wasn't part of an official run. I have got it registered on Strava because Strava's told me it's my longest running activity. I've got the kind of GPS uh, tracking of it. All you can see is just me running at a circle loads of times that's all you can see on the map is just loads and loads of circles but yeah I have managed to achieve that now what I did learn from that is that I don't want to run that distance um, so I'm pleased I did run it but I don't aspire to run half marathons and I don't aspire to run marathons and the amount of kind of physical discomfort I was in um, after I'd done it uh, I don't want to kind of punish myself that much because the other thing I see from people who do all this kind of ultra stuff is they spend a lot of time with injuries and my policy all the time with exercise has been I'm doing this for fitness not for achievement uh, you know uh, not for medals and things like that I'm doing li literally for a lifetime of fitness and so my top distance is 10 kilometers and my regular distance is five kilometers um, and now I'm not saying I'll never do a marathon I'm not saying I'll never do a half marathon but my general plan for running is to stick to the five kilometers or the 10 kilometers but it was very interesting to go through that experience now i could also give you a number of how many kilometers i've well this is the number of kilometers i've recorded on my watch this year uh, which is pretty well i've pretty well captured everything on that i have run 1043 kilometers in 2022 and i can actually i can add another five to that because since i jotted that down no i can add another six to that because i've since i jotted that down on the show notes i ran six kilometers yesterday around the nature reserve so i've i've run 10 no 1049 kilometers 
this year so uh that's quite a lot isn't it it's quite a lot of kilometers to run and i don't i don't record my walking on that by the way so my wife always records her walks i don't record walks i only record my runs on that so um i've got another at the time of recording this i've got a park run christmas eve run i've got a park run christmas day run which i'll be doing and then i've got a nature reserve run on the 27th then we head to uh Malaga I've got a 10 kilometer in Malaga on the 30th of is it the 30th of December I think it's the 30th and then we've got a 4k we move uh, houses then apartments to Torremolinos and I've got a 4k in Torremolinos on the 31st of December so that will take my running year out so there's a few more kilometers to add to that but that's what I'm doing until the end of this running year and then we start all over again in 2023 now if you are interested in this and I share this stuff uh, with you because it's about being a healthy writer uh, you know we're stuck in our chair and at our desks so much of our lives this is what I've chosen to do to keep myself fit and healthy and if you want to check out my running year and see pictures of me looking tired then you can head for paulteague.net forward slash 2022 and also on those pages you'll see that I'm all ready to start recording my running year in 2023 and I've put my running objectives on there as well so if you're interested in that sort of stuff paulteague.net forward slash 2022 and I've put that on this week's show notes now the other thing we've been consistent with this year is our travel we've had a really great year for travel and that's including uh, that's included foreign travel and it's included travel that we've tended to do uh, around park run and so you know my, again my running has has allowed me to visit different places and do park runs and when you do a park run in an unfamiliar town or city you often see places that you uh, you wouldn't normally see lovely parkland and things like that so it's had that unexpected bonus for me as well while I've been doing it so in terms of travel then we've been to we went to Fort William this year I visited my mum in Lincolnshire four times we went to Hamburg I've been to London for the uh, self-publishing show live and I really enjoyed that I count that as well as as well as you know work and being at a conference I had such a wonderful time running around the Thames and things like that I count that as a bit of a holiday too and and, um, and going out with people you know seeing my brother and seeing Lucy and seeing you know seeing people that I know I had such a wonderful time I count that also as a holiday because it was a, a lovely visit to London uh, one of the highlights of the year we went to Chester that was for one of my kids graduations we did a park run while we were in Chester went to Kilmarnock to see some friends did a, did a park run while we were in Kilmarnock and Kilmarnock and actually uh, Kilmarnock's a really interesting example is that you would just write that off as a Scottish town and yet the park we ran in in Kilmarnock was spectacular it was a lovely park and I would never have known about that park had we never ventured sort of further than visiting our friends who lived there we also went to Barrow in Furness uh, Barrow in Furness was wonderful because uh, we ran I lived I worked in Barrow in Furness it's where I started my radio career uh, we had a lovely treat when we went there in that um, the office that I used to work in for the BBC has been closed now but when we walked past it to have a look uh, it's a late it's a Labour uh, political party of the UK it's a Labour headquarters now and the guys were had got the door open and were doing something there and I just I, I said oh hello I used to work here do you mind if I have a nose through the door and they let me have a complete walk around you know so I could see where I used to broadcast radio shows this is where I started my radio career I used to be there I used to start my shifts at 4am in the morning I used to drive uh, you know an hour and a half to get there this is when I was young and keen to do these things and um, I'd broadcast my radio show there from six to eight in the morning and uh, we lived there uh 
for, for, uh, for, for quite a while as why as well uh, while I was working there um, so we went it was a early stage of my career so we owned a house in Lancaster so you know often I would rent my house out in Lancaster for six months and then we would rent in, in Barrow for six months and then we'd maybe move back to Lancaster if the if the contract was uncertain uh, my wife also worked in Lancaster so there was a lot of commuting and you know train travel by either of us at that stage but anyhow it was a, it was a wonderful treat to go back to where I used to do my first radio shows it's all you know changed there now um, and also considering we lived there over a period you know on and off a period of two years we ran in a park that we'd never been to when we were younger this is this is our pre-children life where it was just me and my wife and you know we had that kind of complete um, child-free freedom even though we had all that freedom we never went to this lovely park that we ran in while we lived in Barrow and Furness so that was a lovely treat as well we went over to uh, Withensea uh, and we went to Hull. Uh, so I was doing book research while I was out there, but also visiting old haunts. Two of my children were born out there. Uh, we went with two of the kids as well. So we did loads of tourism while we were there, but also um, we went and did a park run at the Humber Bridge. The Humber Bridge is where my book opens. My latest book opens at the Humber Bridge, just literally in the shadow of where we did the park run. Um, and again you know this is what I say all these wonderful things happen when I was doing that park run I was running along and I saw somebody I thought I know you and it was the lady who used to produce the breakfast show when I was the breakfast show presenter when I was at BBC Radio Humberside and you know when you you you, you pass I, I passed I thought and I ran by because I was running obviously I said it's not Kate is it and she said yes I said it's Paul Teague and so I ran round then I passed her the next time and we we had sort of two chit chats as I was running round and then as I finished the run because it was spread out in a park uh, I met my wife at the end and I said oh you know it was Kate that I used to work with and I, I thought I don't know whether I'm I don't know where she is in the park I've lost my bearings and it was quite a big park but as we were walking back we walked straight past her so we walked to the car park and had a real sort of catch-up about the people I, I know at Radio Humberside still so that was like a wonderful thing that happened as a result of this sort of park run tourism that we do absolutely wonderful we did the Edinburgh park run so I was up there for a conference that's not writing related another part of my life that I don't talk about on this podcast but that was a conference that's not writing related in Edinburgh I had a wonderful we had the smallest room in Edinburgh in the world we had one on what's it called Prince's Prince's Street isn't it the main street in Edinburgh I needed to be central for this conference and I, I you know I knew I, I thought our compact room is fine but this we were almost in a cupboard you had to know somebody very well to sort of share a room with them where we were in Edinburgh um, it, it was almost like living in a cupboard I've never seen such a small room I thought I, I don't mind a small room but this was the smallest room I've ever been in in my life but anyhow that, that's by the by we were, we were barely in the room anyway but we were in Edinburgh and we we went along to do the park run where the Scottish Parliament is in, in Edinburgh. We do all round the hill there. Uh, what's it called? Something's forgotten what the hill's called. Arthur's Seat, Arthur's Seat. Uh, we did a run all round the hill there for part run. So that was great. We're in Edinburgh. We've been to Copenhagen uh, this year as well. That was fantastic fun. We did a part run in Copenhagen. There's a theme developing here. And um, Malaga, we're going to Malaga, um, well, on the 20. 7th 27th of December through to the 9th of January I think it is that's how long we're there so we're just short of two weeks I think we're in Malaga um, and I've, I can't do park runs in Spain because they don't have a park run in Spain but we are doing um, what's called what's it called the San Silvestre which is the uh, Spain do loads of runs all over Spain called the San Silvestre and it's their new year runs so we, we love doing the San Silvestre so we're doing I'm doing two San Silvestres a 10 and a 4k 
So uh, you can see how the travel has bolted in with the running as well. But we've got a load of travel in there this year. That's, uh, you know, what I said to you is that although uh, for just for domestic reasons at the moment, we can't decamp to Spain for winter, much as I'd like to with the weather we've been having. We can't at the moment decamp. Uh, I'll tell you next week more about plans for travel next year that that might change in the next year. But um, so this year we said we'd just get loads of traveling, Lo you know, just do loads of smaller trips um, and, and sort of satiate our desire to travel. And so, um, as you can tell from that list, you know, we've had a lot of fun this year uh, going about, um, you know, traveling in, in seeing different places. Um, and it's, for travel, travel for me doesn't have to be abroad. Uh, I get just as much joy wherever I am uh, traveling. It doesn't have to be abroad. You know, I've had immense joy from all those trips this year you know there's always there's always something amazing when i go to see my mum uh i did a i did a lincolnshire 10k run uh a couple of couple of weeks ago i think it was uh and, and i got to run through the you know a city that i i grew up in or around we didn't live there we lived outside it but you know a f city that i was very familiar with I, they closed the streets for the run i got this wonderful experience so you know my belief is that you could you make wonderful experiences wherever you are with whatever you've got uh, you know, it's not it's not a money thing. I don't have to be abroad to have a wonderful time. Uh, you you, uh, you know, I could have a wonderful time with a paper bag, uh, you know, uh, if, if you wanted to. So you make your fun where you find it. So the travel is not dependent on being abroad. It's really the um, it's the climate I prefer abroad. You know, when it was cold here in the UK, I just really hate the UK climate. And I don't go abroad for um you know sunshine and sunburn and lazing on the beach i like going abroad in the winter because it's just like it's like the british summer it's just it's a nice uh, you know pleasant temperature uh, most of the time and you have pleasant days and that's what you get when you go abroad in the winter i'm not the slightest bit interested in being in spain in the summer it's way too hot for me but i like it in the winter and uh, very much so um but it, you know that that joy of being able to go out in spain in the winter when you go out and it's probably you know most of the time it's never going to rain uh you generally just need a shirt and a very light coat if that when you're out it, that's the kind of weather i love and that's why i like going abroad in the winter uh, but i say it holds no interest for me in the summer i stop traveling usually i stop traveling abroad in july don't really return to it till the end of september october um th those are my ideal travel months and that that's all weather based uh, because i just like pleasant weather anyhow that was a diversion so so travel so really this year has been about travel and running that's really been where my impetus has come from this year and the the university job if you want to sort of kept me uh, grounded you know rooted and focused that's what the university job has served to do and i'm very you know grateful for that i've enjoyed the university job but you know actually now my mind is elsewhere wanting to work on other things so that brings me to writing what have i done this year with writing well if you think about it in terms of a traditional author career this year i have published I, in january i published my morecambe bay box set of three books and my morecambe bay box set of nine books that was in january of 2022 and i've written and sent to the editor another book so if you if you look at that in terms of say a traditional author that's just a normal year isn't it for a tradi traditional author but i would count that as a slack year this year uh, but that's what i've done in terms of, uh, of achievements that's what's been done this year and of course the first part of the year as you heard in the last episode that long bumper episode the first part of the year was dedicated to quality control activities so i spent a lot of time um, you know pretty well into march april when i took the university job up i was working on quality control 
um, activities, uh, doing doing a lot of behind the scenes work that you you'll never see, you'll never see or probably even notice. You just accept that it's there. I did, of course, start and plan and just start writing that military sci-fi story. But as I told you in the last episode, I abandoned that, not because there's anything wrong with the story, just because I felt like I was rewriting a story that I'd already written, and I'd rather be writing it as a, as, a, as, a, as the next instalment of the books that I'd already written. So that that I might come back to that. You know, it's a perfectly good story. It's all plotted and ready to go. I just abandoned it because the time wasn't right. I was... I, I was that time in the wilderness was just sort of spent thinking well you know I've done a series now I've done I've done lots of things in my writing career what am I going to do next I don't just want to repeat you know rinse and repeat rinse and repeat do the same old thing and get the same old results so I just needed that time to think it through and think about my strategy and bear in mind also that when I started 2022 I was expecting to do the MA course in Dundee at Dundee University in September, but they cancelled the course. They kind of pulled that rug from underneath me. About, I can't remember what it was, May or June, something like that, it was mid-year. So again, the year had to kind of pivot around that expectation too, because I, I assumed that I would be writing at that time. So it was only in quarter four that I got back to writing. You know, write, sitting down and, and writing a book properly, a book that actually got written and, and I've got a book written I've got a book written by the end of the year by traditional standards that's all fine you know it's with it's with the editor it's left me now so it's been my least productive writing year for a long time but at a personal level it's been a great year I've really you know I've really enjoyed the last couple of years but they've been some of my least productive those of you who've listened to this podcast for years you know will know I'm pretty sure I did eight books I think in my most productive year and I was working part-time at that time um, you know, so so I've been very unproductive in the last few years. But then if you look at 2021 as being an unproductive year, I wrote and published three books in that year. That was my unproductive year. So uh, again, you know, I, I have to be, I'm very guilty of this. I have to watch that I don't set uh, ridiculous, you know, targets uh, that make a rod for my own back. I am self-employed in this business. I don't frankly have to do anything. I don't even have to get up right if I don't want to, you know, because I've got back catalogue now that I can sell and that makes income for me. But these are, I have to remind myself that these are always self-imposed targets. Um, and, and that, you know, they, my writing should serve me rather, rather than the other way around. I shouldn't be a servant to my writing. And that's really what I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to find, I think, a new rhythm. And this is only because... I've got a back catalogue now. You know, I've done the work over the years. I have a back catalogue. I could not write for three years, just market my back catalogue, and I would make a, a, more money than that figure that I gave you earlier in the podcast, that £7,000 a year. I'm pretty confident that I could do that. And that's the, that's the joy of having a back catalogue. It's not going to make me a six-figure author, but it is going to bring me in an income those books are going to bring in an income um, so long as I market of course I have to do something I do have to market them if I left them there they wouldn't make that income so I do have to do something but I, I don't inverted commas have to write but I choose to write so I want I'm kind of got got my um, zest back again I want to be writing again now um, but it is my least productive writing year for, for a long time other than the year we went to Spain which was also very I don't did I even get a book out when we were in Spain probably not that year but then you see that year that we went to Spain was the year I made the most money I've ever made in my working life gross gross remember um, yeah I didn't write a book that year 
I don't think I published a book that year. It's, you know, so it's not it's not quite as simple as, you know, I write a million books and I make a million pounds. It's not, it doesn't quite work like that for us. Um, our books that we've written in the past are our assets and our assets can make us money even when we're not writing. And that, you know, if, if I could offer you something as a mediocre writer who's not making that much money, but enough more than an average traditional author, then it's like having more books. You know, I can tell you that it's easier when you've got more books life becomes easier but you've got to do the work to get those books in the first place and it does become easier when you've got more books still not easy enough for my taste you know i'd like it to be a lot easier and i'd like the income to be a lot higher but there is a certain level of comfort around having a certain number of books so you know if you're on book number one do keep going and what they say about having multiple books is true and it also allows you to, to do what i've done this year which is to have a slack year uh, you know to have a year when i'm not writing very much and to, to just sort of take care of yourself at a, at a personal level. But, you know, I would still rate this as a good year, but I can tell you I'm really happy to have found my, my verve again, and I'm really happy to be back writing and to sort of feel like I'm doing that with a sense of purpose. It, it was it, I didn't like it leaving me, but I'm happy that it's back. It makes me feel good to have that back. So if you want to sum up 2022, running plus travel, lots of behind-the-scenes writing-related activity, plus a bit of writing, we've got a book written. That is it then for my 2022 review. I've got a competition answer to give you. I asked you right at the beginning of this podcast, how many games of Scrabble have I played with my mum? This is online Scrabble since March 2020 when we went into lockdown. And I can reveal that me and mum have played 406 games, 406 Scrabble games, of which I have won 173. We tied one and my mum has won 232. And just by way of example, she's very good at Scrabble. She always has been. By way of example, yesterday when we played, I started with a word that scored 61. I used all seven letters and it was a 61 score. And I was sitting there thinking, right, that's I can relax in this game now. But she constantly came up. She didn't come up with words that scored as high as that, but she constantly came up with great words. And she, she thrashed me. <laughs> Even yesterday, she thrashed me. And um, and I just thought, oh, I, at last, you know, I've got a great score. I've used all my seven letters. That's a great start of the game. And I still have to watch my back. So, uh, you know, we're still enjoying the Scrabble, but we're 406 games in now. So um, what did you guess? Were you anywhere near it? There's no prize just for fun, that one. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, I'll be setting out my goals for quarter one and 2023. Plus... I've got some big podcast news to start off 2023. And in the following weeks, while we're in Malaga, while I'm away, I did say I was going to be producing some episodes for you. I'm going to be sharing the various tools and resources I'm using in my writing business. That That's kind of bringing you right up to date with what I'm using in my business at the present time. And those I've pre-recorded those episodes, but those episodes will run while we're away uh, in Malaga. So those episodes are ready. They're all done. They're all queued up. They will just drop one uh, a week for the next couple of weeks so that is it for this week's show thanks so much for listening hope you enjoyed the show and found it useful from me paul teague happy holidays if you've ever found this podcast helpful you can now support my work by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paul teague maybe i've saved you some time by sharing a new resource Perhaps I passed some information on that you weren't aware of, or you may just like catching up with another author who's doing what you're trying to do and checking in on a regular basis. 
I prefer to use Buy Me A Coffee because unlike Patreon, you don't have to sign your life away to show your support for the podcast. You can make small one-time contributions, the price of a cup of coffee, or you can support monthly or even annually. The choice is yours and you can make one-off donations at any level you choose. So if you want to support the future development of this show, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. And thank you very much in advance for your help in keeping this particular show on the road.